Huh? Oh. Okay. Is that good? Everyone can hear me now? Good. Well, let's open with a word of prayer, and then we will jump into Revelation 10, 11, 12, and 13. We're going to cover a lot of ground tonight. Father, we are thankful again for your word that you are a God of truth, that you have seen fit to prepare us uh, for these end days. Uh, Lord, I pray that we would learn, that we would get a glimpse of you tonight, that we would understand better you and the enemy and how they work, and uh, Lord, that we might uh, be better prepared to serve you uh, within uh, this community, within this culture that you have placed us at this time. Uh, Father, until these days come to pass, may we be forever faithful to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, your homework assignment. Sit in silence for 30 minutes. How many of you did 30 minutes? Few. Okay. How many of you at least attempted? Maybe you didn't do the whole 30. All right. That's a good start. That's good. Good. What, uh, what are some things maybe you heard, you saw, you wrote down um, that you can share? I don't, I don't want deep, dark secrets here. Just... And, and those are key. Those are things that we want to, that you personally necessarily apply to everyone that want to key in on love, salvation, Savior. Yes. And, and that's just assurance. That's where we gain that peace in the, in the quiet. Because the world has, is very good at forcing all those things out. And we forget about those things. And so when we have the, the quiet and really focusing, focusing upon God, he wants to bring those things to the forefront. Anyone else? Great. Thanks, Joan. <laughs> very good. God just instructed you to write an encouragement letter to someone. And very good. Apparently it wasn't me. I didn't get it. <laughs> oh, it's in my box. Okay. <laughs> Anyone else? I, I, I want to encourage you to make this a regular part of, of either your worship or quiet times or just your relationship with God because it is important. I know as, as you know, a husband and wife, Sarah and I have to have silent times. I mean, we have to have times where it's just the two of us and no kids, no world, no out and, and in order to connect one-on-one. -on -one. And, you know, that's... Just, no different than with God, and he wants to connect. He wants to speak to us. He wants to, to encourage us uh, with words or with actions or whatever, and he wants to lead us in those times. And so uh, I encourage you to, to bring that uh, into a part of your relationship with him. Well, tonight we do have a lot of ground we're going to cover um, because there was really no good place to break this. Um, 12, 13, or 10, 11, 12, 13, all go right in together. 
And, uh, and so we're going to just kind of highlight the, the people that come on the scene because what we're going to find is that, you know, as John has been watching this vision unfold and uh, the seals were broken or opened and, and the trumpets were, were sounding and things were beginning to happen to the earth, now we actually see this supernatural event begin to take place where all throughout 10, 11, 12, and 13, man's not really a player in this. We're watchers. We're observers. And this battle that is going on, this, this really leading up uh, to the end, um, really we are, not, we are not players. We would like to think we are. We would like to think, oh, I've got a... Not really. Uh, this is a battle that was waged centuries ago. And it's going to play out before us, uh, those of us who are left, at the end. And we're going to see this begin to unfold. And so it is a supernatural battle among supernatural beings. And, uh, and so we want to look at, at each of these people as they come onto the scene and, and what their role and how it's going to begin to play out. So uh, Roman, uh, Romans. Revelation chapter 12. Romans chapter 12 is one of my favorites. We could go there and I could talk for an hour easily on that too. Um, Revelation chapter 10. I'm sorry, I said 12. Chapter 10. I had mine open to 12. And we see here that, that there's, uh, there's some new players coming on the scene. We see this strong angel. It says, Then I saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven, surrounded by a cloud with a rainbow over his head. His face was like the sun, his legs were like fiery pillars, and he had a little scroll opened in his hand. He put his right foot on the sea, his left on the land, and he cried out with a loud voice like a roaring lion. When he cried out, the seven thunders spoke with their voices. And when the seven thunders spoke, I was about to write. Then I heard a voice from heaven saying, Seal up what the seven thunders said and do not write it down. Now you want to know what, it, what they said, don't you? <laughs> you want to know what they said. We don't know, but we can get from here. John, this, this, as I said, the vision takes a little bit different course at chapter 10 because John is no longer in heaven, okay? <clears throat> He's now back on earth because it says that this mighty angel came down from heaven and he watched him come down. So John is no longer in heaven. He's standing on the earth watching these things begin to unfold before him. And so he's seeing this angel come down, and we can identify this angel. We're not sure who this angel is. He's not Jesus. Um, Jesus is never referred to as an angel. You can read about him in the Old Testament being the angel, but never an angel, as like all the other ordinary angels. He is the angel in the Old Testament. He appeared to Abraham. Uh, he appeared in the burning bush to Moses. Um, and several other places that uh, Jesus appeared in the Old Testament as the angel of the Lord. Um, could possibly be the angel that is in Daniel chapter 12 that Daniel talks about um, coming. And we're going to look at Daniel chapter 12 in a little bit because that very much ties in to what is happening right here um, in these chapters. Um, or it's the same angel as chapter 5. Uh, verse 2, that there, that there was also a mighty angel, and uh, it could very well be the same, same angel. But we don't, um, we don't really have an identification for him, but we know that he is mighty. Um, another strong angel, some say. So there was, there was an appearance or an aura of, of strength 
in this angel coming with this little scroll. Um, we don't really know even what this little book was. Uh, we're just told that there was an, another mighty angel came. He had this little scroll in his hand. We don't know what it is. Um, but when he put his feet on the sea and his feet on the land and he let out a mighty roar like a lion, um, these seven thunders, the voices of the seven thunders, uh, roared as well. And uh, what they said, we don't know because John was commanded not to write them down. Now, that bids me to ask the question, why? Why was he not to write them down? Well, we have to guess. Um, so let me give you some best guesses best guesses as to why he may not have been able to write them down. They may very well have been too sacred, um, too holy, too supernatural that uh, uh, John, John would not have been able to handle what they had said, um, the translation of what it was, what they meant. Um, the same as like Moses was not able to look. No one can look upon the face of God because it is too glorious. It is too perfect. And uh, maybe these words also will kind of have the same effect. They were too sacred. Um, may have been too disastrous. Everything he had written up to now was pretty bad, and what he was about to observe was, was even worse. And what we're going to look at next week or two weeks from now is even worse. And it, it may have been just, just too disastrous. And he said, you know, just don't write that down. You can leave that part out. Um, or... It was supposed to be seven seals, seven trumpets, seven thunders, seven bulls. And God said, you know what? Time's up. Skip the thunders. We're going straight to the bulls. They didn't repent after the seals. I've given them every opportunity, every chance. Just don't even write. Don't worry about the thunders. We're going right to the bulls. Um, we don't know why. Um, but very much the, the seven thunders would have fit right in line with another set of warnings, another opportunity, uh, but it was too late. And uh, in verse 6, he says, He swore an oath by the one who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and what is in it, the earth and what is in it, and the sea and what is in it. There will no longer be an interval of time. There's not going to be any more delay. We're just going right at it now. So after the seven thunders spoke... John's told not to write them down. We're going on. We're moving on. There's no more delay. There's no more um, waiting, period. Um, and in fact, John then is instructed to eat the scroll, to eat it. Um, and he said it's going to be honey to your mouth, but it's going to turn your stomach sour. A uh, lot of different things. It's going to look good, going to taste good, going to sound good. But when it really plays out, when it really, when you start to digest the, what those words are, it's just going to leave a sour taste in your mouth. And that's exactly what John uh, discovered. So after the, this mighty angel brings the scroll, the seven thunders roar, um, he eats this, uh, he eats those words. Um, we now see in, in verse, or in chapter 11, then I was given a measuring reed like a rod with these words, go and measure God's sanctuary in the altar and count those who worship there. But exclude the courtyard outside the sanctuary. Don't measure it because it is given to the nations or to the Gentiles. And they will trample the holy city for 42 months. Um, why the significance of measuring? I mean, this is, this is totally different now. He's, he's walking into the, the temple, uh, God's sanctuary, the altar, and he was told to, to measure it. Um, 
really, when, when anything was measured, uh, the owner, one, it dealt with ownership. It showed ownership. And so God is saying, here, I am owner of what you are about to measure. You know, if you buy a piece of property, you've got to go out and you've got to have it measured so you know exactly what it is you own. And so God is saying, I want you to measure the sanctuary. I want you to go and measure it. Now, more than likely, he's, he's not measuring uh, to get the dimensions of an actual building. But he's measuring to get the dimensions or the number of worshipers. Uh, that these are the ones that God has chose. These are the ones that God owns, if you will. These are the ones that belong to him. And he says, I want you to go and I want you to measure um, the sanctuary and the altar and count those who worship there. See, that's what he's really doing. He's counting the people who are, who are worshiping there. Um, he's not going to measure the evil ones, the ones outside. He said, don't worry about the courtyard. Don't worry about the ones around out. I only want to know the ones who are actually worshiping. Uh, those are the ones that are most important. Um, those are the ones that belong to me. The outer court was going to be demolished by the Gentiles for 42 months. Um, and we can see in Luke chapter 21, he says, when you see Jerusalem being surrounded by armies, you will know that its desolation is near. Then that let those who are in Ju Judea flee to the mountains, let those in the city get out, and let those in the country not enter the city. For this is the time of punishment and fulfillment of all that has been written. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. There will be great distress in the land and wrath against this people. They will fall by the sword and will be taken as prisoners to all the nations. Jerusalem will be trampled on by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. And this is the beginning of that. What, what he is seeing in measuring the sanctuary and the altar, seeing who the worshipers are, he says, now, no more delay. They're going to come in. The Gentiles are going to trample. The unbelievers are going to trample. And they're going to destroy until their day, until their time is fulfilled, uh, until that time is, is finished. Now, we, we have a little bit of that time. What does, what does your version say in verse 2? How long are they going to trample? 42 months. How long is that? Three and a half years. Okay, how significant is three and a half years? It's half a seven. It's the seven years of tribulation. So for three and a half years, we're at the halfway point of the tribulation. We mentioned that, I think, last week, too, that we're, we're coming at the halfway point. We're going to see those numbers, um, 42 months, 1,260 days, three and a half years are going to come up often um, in these verses because we've, we've reached that halfway point in the tribulation and uh, when things really really start to get bad. No more delay. Now the clock is ticking. We're on, we're on track uh, for Christ to return. Um, so he measures the temple. He determines what, uh, he identifies who the true worshipers are. And then we see in verse 3 that there are two witnesses um, that God sends out. He says, I will empower my two witnesses and they will prophesy for 1260 days. Okay, they're going to prophesy for the, the three and a half years. Um, these are the two olive trees and the two lampstands that stand before the Lord of the earth. If anyone wants to harm them, fire comes from their mouths and consumes their enemies. If anyone wants to harm them, he must be killed in this way. These men have the power to close the sky so that it does not rain during the days of their prophecy. 
They also have power over the waters to turn them into blood and to strike the earth with any plague whenever they want. These are two actual prophets sent from God to prophesy. Um, not really symbolic of anything. They're just two prophets, two witnesses that are sent to prophesy about, about what God is, is about to do. They're given extreme power. Um, they're given power to kill uh, if they deem it necessary. They are given power to control the weather. Uh, they're given power to control nature. They can turn water into blood. Um, so they're given quite a little bit of power and uh, the authority that goes along with it. Uh, this is actually in reference to Zechariah chapter 4. Write that down and read it later. Um, Zechariah chapter 4 talks about these two witnesses um, coming and, uh, and, and points to this. Um, now what we do know is that the beast from the abyss, uh, from the abyss, when the, they finish their testimony, the beast that comes up out of the abyss will make war with them, conquer them, and kill them. Their dead bodies will lie in the public square of the great city, which is called prophetically Sodom in Egypt, where also their Lord was crucified. And representatives from the people's tribes, languages, and nations will view their bodies for three and a half days and not permit their bodies to be put into a tomb. Now, you've got to understand that law was within 24 hours. Uh, you, had to, um, you had to bury the body, prepare it for burial, and bury it within 24 hours. Um, they let these people, which meant pretty much they disgraced them. Um, they allowed their dead bodies to just lay in the streets for three and a half days. Uh, those who live on the earth will gloat over them and celebrate and send gifts to one another because these two prophets tormented those who live on the earth. Um, okay, so the, the beast is going to come and murder them. Uh, people are going to actually, the, the, the unbelievers are going to actually celebrate their deaths. Um, and then God is going to raise them from the dead in verse 11. But after the three and a half days, the breath of life from God entered them and they stood on their feet. So great fear fell on those who saw them. When they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, come up here, they went up to heaven in a cloud while their enemies watched them. That moment, a violent earthquake took place. A tenth of the city fell, and 7,000 people were killed in the earthquake. Their survivors were terrified and gave glory to the God of heaven. The second woe has passed. Take note, the third woe is coming quickly. Okay, so this was all kind of part of that sixth trumpet, that second woe. Remember, we talked the fifth, the sixth, and the seventh trumpet was going to be the third woe. So God has ra raised these two witnesses from the dead and struck fear in the people when they, when they watched this. They thought they had conquered. They thought they had overcome. They thought they had won. Here are these two witnesses that were coming, speaking about God, killing people who would not listen, um, turning water into blood, uh, playing around with nature, messing around with nature, um, had died. They had killed them. They thought they had won. And here, three and a half days of celebration, and these two are raised and taken to heaven. Um, now, it says that the people glorified God. Um, don't read into that they repented. Just that in, in that they were, as it says, every knee will bow, every tongue confess, but not every tongue will believe. Uh, there is a difference. And uh, so the people did not repent here, even though they understood that God had done that. They still had not repented. And then there's this other earthquake. Okay, earthquakes happen a lot at this time. 
And uh, I think as the day approaches, we will see more and more earthquakes and devastating earthquakes. Here, a tenth of the city was destroyed. Um, nothing like that earthquake earlier uh, in, the, in the seals, but uh, still devastating and killed 7,000 people, uh, which probably could be a tenth of the people as well. You figure 70,000 people living uh, at, in the city. Uh, so a tenth of the city is wiped out. This ends the second woe. So strong angel comes in, gives the scroll, says, don't write it down. There's no more delay. Eat it. He eats it, gets a stomach ache from it. Uh, and then uh, two witnesses, or he measures the temple. Uh, the two witnesses show up, prophesy, and, and understand that, that, that we're now kind of jumping back and forth on this timeline. Okay, because he's seeing an event and seeing it to the end. And then he's coming back and seeing another event and seeing it to the end. So it's not the two witnesses for three and a half years. And then we're going to get the seventh trumpet because there's still all of this is kind of happening uh, together. So now we see in chapter 11, verse 15, that this seventh trumpet sounds. Remember, we did the sixth last week. Now we have the seventh one uh, blowing here. The seventh angel blew his trumpet and these... And there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of the world has become the, has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Messiah, and he will reign forever and ever. Here's the, these loud voices. Don't identify them. Don't know who they are. There's just a lot of voices, and they're very loud, signifying that God's kingdom was now coming. Okay? So we are getting closer to the end. Uh, that, that somewhere along the line, um, this is no longer going to be the kingdom of the world reigning on earth. Um, right now, who is the, who, who's, who's reigning? Satan is reigning here. The devil, this is his world, and we live in it. But now the angels say, in the, the, when the seventh angel blows his trumpet, there's loud voices claiming that the kingdom of God, kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Messiah, and he will reign forever and ever. And so here it is. It's now coming to pass. They're now seeing it with this seventh trumpet. Okay? The 24 elders get in on the worship, and they're seated before God on their thrones, fell on their faces and worshiped God, saying, We thank you, Lord God, the Almighty, who is and who was, because you have taken your great power and have begun to reign. The nations were angry, but your wrath has come. The time has come for the dead to be judged and to give the reward to your servants, the prophets, to the saints and to those who fear your name, both small and great. And the time has come to destroy those who destroy the earth. Can you hear kind of the rallying cry in this? Remember the ones under the altar who were crying out, how long do we have to wait? How long do we have to wait? Now we're hearing voices yell, it's time. It's time. It's happening. It, it's, it's going forward right now. And three things that they, that they thanked God for, um, that the elders thanked God for his, one, his power. They say he is almighty. Okay, we thank you, Lord God, the Almighty. They understand that even with all of the powerful things that are going on around them, that they're saying that it is God who acts and it is God who is the Almighty One. Um, this is a power that cannot be resisted. You can't stand up to this power. You can stand up to a guy who bullies you, you know, and, and maybe stronger than you. You, can stand, you can't resist God's power. And God's full power is about to come interacting with man like it's never interacted before um, in this way. God's final will is about to take place and nobody can stop it. 
Once this starts, it's going to see itself out to completion. Nobody is going to be able to stop it. And so they're praising God for, for being almighty. They're also praising him for being eternal. We thank you, Lord God, the almighty who is and who was. What's missing? And who is to come. Why is that missing? Who was and is and is to come. Why is it now just who was and who is? He's coming. There is no more and who is to come. He's coming. That was the whole point of this rally cry. He is coming. And so it's we praise you, the Lord Almighty, who was or who is and who was because you're here. You, you are about to, to ascend or to descend upon this. God is now coming. Um, that part is no longer needed. And then the third part is his sovereignty. Um, have, you have begun to reign. Okay, he, this, the world's order is about to be drastically changed. And it is about to be overtaken by God's power, his almightiness, his sovereignty, and he is about to reign uh, in, in this place. Uh, his will is about to be accomplished. And the time for judging has come. Uh, time for judging those. Uh, the nations were angry, but your wrath has come. The time has come for the dead to be judged and to give the reward to your servants, the prophets, and to the saints uh, and to those who will, who will worship. So here's kind of the battle cry as it, as it is now starting to really take, take effect, really starting to go in that direction now. Um, I think John is, is probably, I mean, if you can, can picture this, he's starting to understand what's coming. And it's, it's about to get very big in a hurry uh, in his mind. Now we see in, uh, in chapter 12 that there are two signs that appear in heaven. He says in chapter 12, verse 1, A great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet and a crown of 12 stars in her head. She was pregnant and cried out in labor and agony to give birth. So here we have this, this woman. This, this is a great sign, and this, this word great is actually mega. Okay, so it's a big, big. Okay, it's the biggest great sign that is coming. Um, and it's this, this word mega is used a lot throughout Revelations from this point on. That things are just big. Everything's going to appear bigger than life to John. Things that he's never seen, things that he's probably never imagined are about to, to unfurl right before his eyes. And so here's a great sign. Here's a mega sign. Um, and that word sign really is a symbol. Here, here's a big symbolic picture for you um, of what is happening. Um, and that picture is going to point to a reality. All right, It's a sign. It's a symbol. Um, not necessarily a, a real, but it's pointing to something that is real. Now, the other thing you've got to understand in this point is that we are going to jump past and future a lot. Okay, so again, you've got to kind of throw out the timeline to where we want things to happen step by step by step by step by step. And it's not going to unfold that way in John's vision. Okay, because some of the things that he's going to see are actually past but then he's going to jump right to what they point to that is, is going to be future. And so you got to kind of dismiss the time. Let, let time go away. 
um, and try not to, to wrap this around, well, what's step one, step two, step three? We like things nice and neat that way. This doesn't necessarily unfold that way. Um, so here are the first sign. This first sign is a woman uh, clothed with the sun, uh, the moon under her feet, the crown of 12 stars on her head. Uh, what did we say about 12 last week? The number 12. We had 12 apostles, 12 tribes. What's 12 going to be symbolic of? Interacting with the world. God interacting with believers in the world. Okay, so it, it's tends to inter, it tends to be symbolic of a religious uh, or sacred group. Uh, the 12 tribes, the 12 apostles, those are, are key to that. So here she has uh, the moon under her feet, and she has a crown of 12 stars on her head, um, which shows, one, her exalted status and her glory uh, at this point. Now, who is she? Well, that depends on if you're pre-trib or post-trib. <laughs> Say again, the bride of Christ, okay, that would be a good post-trib view, that it's the church. Right, that, that would be, um, a lot will take this, that's the pre-trib view, okay, if you're pre-trib, you're meaning that the church is already gone, so that it can't be the church because the church isn't here at this time, so it's got to be Israel. Post-trib says, well, it's 12 stars, a religious group. The church is still here, so it is probably representative of the whole church, uh, of the whole, all believers, Old and New Testament, any faithful follower. Remember, that's who God asked him to measure. Measure in the sanctuary those who believe, those whose hope is in me. And now this woman comes on the scene, and it is, she's probably going to be symbolic, um, a heavenly representation of all believers. Um, as I said, for, for the pre-trib, the 12 stars would be the 12 tribes of Israel. For the post-trib, the 12 stars would be symbolic of the whole church, 12 tribes and 12 apostles put together. Um, and that's really up for grabs. You decide. Um, again, if, if God really wanted it specifically known, he would have specifically told us. Um, but he's left some of that up for our own discernment. Matthew chapter 12, 48, um, when Jesus is, is in a house and it's, it's crowded, someone comes to him and says, your, your brothers and your mother are out front. And what does Jesus say? Yeah, whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother, sister, and mother. Um, and so, whether this is reference tying in symbolically to this mother, um, that the mother of Christ, the mother of this child, is whoever does the will of the Father, um, is his mother. Um, that could easily tie into this. So, we're, we're pretty sure that this mother is a group of believers. I'll let you decide whether you want to go pre-trib and say it's Israel or you want to go post-trib and say it's all believers for all, of all time. Um, that's, but these signs, uh, as I said, often have both historic and future significance uh, in this. So this woman 
Then we see the second sign in chapter in verse 3. Then another sign, another uh, symbol appeared in heaven. There was a great fiery red dragon having seven heads and ten horns, and on his heads were seven diadems or crowns. His tail swept away a third of the stars in heaven and hurled them to the earth, and the dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that when she did give birth, he might devour her child. But she gave birth to a son, a male, who was going to shepherd all nations with an iron scepter, and her child was caught up to God and to his throne. The woman fled to the wilderness where she had a place prepared by God to be fed there for 1,260 days, which is three and a half years, which is the last half of the tribulation. Um, and so one of the things that, that kind of I, I've taken notice of recently, um, because we like to go to movies. I know that some may call that sinful. Um, but we, we go to movies, and uh, we watch movies. And one of the things I've noticed, one, it's harder to find a good one to go see. <laughs> and we hate to spend the money on a bad one. Um, but as I've, as I've watched some of the trailers, um, and this hit me when we went and while we watched Lincoln, um, the trailers for the movies that are out right now, Hansel and Gretel, it's not the kid's fairy tale that you read to your children. Not that that was all that great of a story. They were about to be eaten by a witch, okay? Um, uh, Jack and the Giant Killer? Okay, that's not Jack and the Beanstalk. It, they've taken all of the, the kids' stories, or what we would consider fairy tales, and they've looked at them from the dark side. No reference to Star Wars. But they, they've, they've darkened those stories. And there was another one, too, and I can't remember. Oh, the Great and Mighty Oz, or Great and Powerful Oz. Um, you know, they, they've taken this, this kid's story, or what we would call a kid's story, and they, they've just shown the dark side. They, they've darkened it. This is the dark side of Christmas. Okay, we picture Mary Joseph traveling, Mary giving birth in a, you know, in a stable and, and laying the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes in a manger. Do you ever wonder what Satan was doing at that time? Looking to devour that kid. I want him out of the picture. I want him destroyed the moment he's born. And he tried. He, he had Herod try to kill or go out to destroy every two-year-old male that was born in that time period to try to destroy this babe. We don't bring that up at Christmas. This is the dark side of the Christmas story. But it's reality that this dragon wanted nothing more than to destroy the child, the son that was born to this woman. Yeah, yeah. If you really know the the what's the uh, Humpty Dumpty? Well, then the the ashes, ashes, we all fall down. Okay, that's about the bubonic plague. Okay, there's nothing joyful in that. Um, that whole story is, is, is the history of the bubonic plague. And, and so here we have this, this woman. She's giving birth, and this dragon is waiting to devour her child. He, he's, he's wanting to destroy this child because he knows the significance of this baby. 
and what it's going to be. And so while we're celebrating Christmas, John is getting a picture of what's happening supernaturally around that manger. And while the angels are coming and praising God, and, and rightly so, glory to God in the highest, the dark angels, the fallen angels, are looking for ways to kill him as best they can. And so here we have this dragon, this other great sign. Seven heads, okay? Ten horns, seven crowns. Tail took a third of the stars out. I mean, with one fell swoop, a third of the stars are gone. Um, Now, all of that's got to be symbolic, right? It's a great sign. It's a great symbol. So uh, what is that symbolic of? What is it that John is seeing that, that it is symbolic of? Yeah, that's that, that tail swoop, knocking out a third of the stars, um, is when Lucifer fell, okay? Um, reference to Lucifer falling from heaven, and he took a third of the angels uh, falling with him. Um, and and here, here's where we have to kind of forget the timeline, because that actually occurred, I believe, even before the creation of man, because Satan was in the garden, Okay, so even before the creation of man, this dragon took a third of its uh, tail and took a third of the stars. Or a third stars, a lot of times are symbolic of angels, and so he took a third of them with him, and and then was cast to the earth uh, with that. And so, um, again, you you can't really fit this into a timeline. We see the seven heads. There are seven heads on this angel. Again, we've got to go back historically, as well as pointing towards the future. Uh, the seven heads, many understand them to represent the seven world empires from Egypt, number one, and then Assyria came in after Egypt, and then Babylon came in after Assyria, and then Persia, and then Greece, and then Rome, and then the dragon's empire. That's the seventh. That's the seventh horn. That's the future. Those others have all been passed. Those six world empires have already happened. Now we're looking towards the seventh uh, one. He also has ten horns, meaning that this seventh head with the ten horns, this is his final empire, and it's going to be a, a, a union of ten nations. Okay, There are going to be ten nations that form this, this union to make up the dragon's uh, final empire, uh, as you will. Okay? So, um, John is seeing history unfold, and it's a mix of past and future uh, before him. And, uh, but here we have, we understand that the dragon is bent on destroying the child of the woman. Uh, so, let's look at the child. And the child, it's a male child. Um, it says, it's, 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 where are we at? And the dragon stood in front of the woman. She did give birth to a son. Uh, verse 5, but she gave birth to a son, a male who is going to shepherd all nations with an iron scepter. Here, here we see that a male child who's going to rule the nations. If you flip back to Revelation chapter 2, verse 27, as he's talking to one of the churches, Jesus says, to the one who is victorious and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. That one, that one will rule them with an iron scepter and will dash them to pieces like pottery, just as I have received authority from my Father. So here Jesus is tying himself in, in the, in the one explanation to the church of those who overcome, the promise that they too will rule and reign with him 
right here to this child that John is about to see, that he's going to be the one that rules with an iron scepter. And so Jesus is, is tying himself to this child. So we've got to believe that this child is Christ. Um, it also then says that he was snatched up to heaven. Uh, we know that in the ascension, uh, after he lived 33 years or so, 33 and a half, hmm, three and a half, um, about how long his ministry was, three and a half years, um, that he, was, he ascended uh, to be with God in heaven. Um, and then the mother, again, if you take that either as Israel or all believers, depending on pre-trib or post-trib, was sent to the desert for protection during the three and a half years, uh, that they were going to be uh, protected from, from the wrath of God and the things. And we kind of already see, saw that. He sealed the 144,000, which we said again was symbolic uh, of, a, of a number, not an actual number of people uh, that had the, the seal of God so that the wrath of God would miss them. Uh, so again, all of this taking place, that they were sent off to another place to be protected uh, from the wrath of God. Then we see war breaking out. There's a lot of war in Revelation because uh, when, when the dragon Satan, uh, you know, he wages war against God constantly. And, and the greatest war that he is raging right now, war that he is waging right now, um, is within the heart and mind of people. What is truth? I mean, it, it's a, it is a war of truth. And, if he, and he's the deceiver. And so he's coming with those tools. He's, he's raging war with deception to try to cloud the truth, to try to get us to, to divert from the truth. Even if it's, we're mostly true, sometimes he'll take that if he can just divert us a little bit. And so truth is important because it, it's, that's the war that he is raging right now uh, within the hearts and minds of people as to what is truth. So here we see this war in verse 13. Um, yeah, 12, 13. When the dragon saw that he had been thrown to earth, okay, the dragon is thrown out of heaven, verses 7 through 12. Um, and again, that's, that's kind of past. That's already happened. Um, and he's down on the earth now. When the, when the dragon saw that he had been thrown to earth, he persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male. The woman was given two wings of a great eagle so that she could fly from the serpent's presence to her place in the wilderness where she was fed for a time, times, and half a time. Three and a half years. Time, one year. Times is two more years, plural. And half a time is half a year. So time, times, and half a time is three and a half years. Um, from his mouth the serpent spewed water like a river. Uh, and like a river after the woman to sweep her away in a torrent. But the earth helped the woman. The earth opened its mouth and swallowed up the river that the dragon had spewed from his mouth. So the dragon was furious with the woman and left to wage war against the rest of her offspring, those who keep the commandments of God uh, and have the testimony about Jesus. He stood on the sand of the sea. So here is this, this war that is being waged, okay, and thrown out, thrown out of heaven. Actually, I probably should have started back in, in verse 7 because this war is between Michael and Satan. Michael is who? Michael the archangel, and who is Satan? 
former archangel. So did they know each other? Oh, yeah, they knew each other very well. Because the archangels would have been in a hierarchy of the angels. They would have been a pretty tight-knit group that were overseeing, ruling, and managing the rest of the angelic beings. So they would have been on a team together, more than likely, a leadership team, if you will. And so Michael the archangel worked very closely with Lucifer the archangel. Now Michael the archangel is the head of kind of the Department of Defense, if you will, okay? The armies of God. Uh, He was the defender. And Lucifer was the head of worship. Uh, And that's when he, you know, around the throne and he kind of wanted them. I want my own throne. I, I see you on the throne. I see all these people worshiping you. Man, I wish that were my throne. And so he began to set himself up with his own throne. And that's when he was cast out of heaven, rebelled against God, swept through. A third of the angels followed after him and said, yeah, we want to worship him rather than God. And went, and then they became the demonic hosts. They became the fallen angels. Um, and so here's this battle. They fought in heaven with, with Lucifer being thrown to the earth. Um, and at that point, becoming Satan. Anyone know what the word Satan means? Adversary. Um, okay, means adversary. So Satan is the adversary of God, the adversary of, of God's people. Um, and now that epic battle when between Lucifer and, and, and uh, Michael in heaven that, that cast Lucifer out the first time is about to be revisited because there's another epic battle coming, another war between these two uh, that are coming that, that John sees here in chapter 12, verses 7 uh, through 17. So they fought in heaven and, and thrown to earth, become Satan. Now they're going to fight again. Um, and... And he's angry. Lucifer is angry. It angered the serpent and the dragon, and so he declared war on the rest of the church. And this is where Michael, the archangel, probably in heaven wondered, I'm the defender. The defender of what? There's nothing to defend. All the angels worshiping God, Lucifer leading them. I just kind of sit there with my sword and wonder, what in the world am I going to do? Now he sees that when Lucifer rebelled and was cast out, he became uh, very important as the defender of God's people here on earth. If you read through the book of Daniel, um, you'll see that, that Daniel, uh, Michael comes in and intercedes with Daniel, uh, that an angel was trying to get a message to Daniel, and the good angel was met in battle with, with evil angels and couldn't get the message through to Daniel. And Michael the archangel had to come in and help that angel deliver uh, the message to Daniel. And so that's, that's what Michael the archangel is doing right now, defending and, and making way and working behind the scenes. Question.
because they're still waiting for the Messiah to come. Right. It's one or the other. How the rest. So the dragon was furious with the woman and left to wage war against the rest of her offspring, which would be believers. Yes. Um, I would say it was God that was nourishing, taking care of, whether it was through uh, his angels or, you know, but it would be God who was nourishing her and, and taking care of her. Um, verse 6 is key to that. The woman fled into the wilderness where she had a place prepared by God to be fed there for 1,260 days. Um, and so the they may very well be the angels, God's servants that, that are caring for the church, uh, that are protecting the church, overseeing um, that protection. That, that would be my understanding um, of it. So here we have this war, um, past war, but yet it's also looking into the future. Um, the serpent is angry. This final battle is, is followed by great rejoicing in heaven by the saints who have gone before. Um, he's thrown to earth and his angels with him. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say in verse 10, the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah have now come because the accuser of our brothers has been thrown out, the one who accuses them before our God day and night. They conquered him by the blood of the lamb, by the word of their testimony, for they did not love their lives in the face of death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the earth and the sea, for the devil has come down to you <laughs> with great fury, because he knows he has a short time. Okay, in the past, the past battle, okay, that first one when Satan was cast out of heaven, he still had access to God. We know that by reading the book of Job, where he would go and he would stand before the throne and he talked bad about Job and he, you know, and does, would do the same thing to us. There's going to come a point in the future where God says, I've had enough. You're out. And Michael rages war, wages war against Satan, the dragon, one more time and kicks him out completely. And he no longer has access back into heaven. And for that, all of the saints in heaven are rejoicing. We don't have to put up with this guy anymore. He's out. He's gone. No more. The salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah have now come because the accuser of our brothers has been thrown out. He's not in heaven. They don't have to listen to the accusations at that point anymore. They don't have to be privy to what he's doing. He's gone. No longer is his presence felt in paradise. And again, heaven, not the new heaven, 
It's the paradise where believers go now when they die. When Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. That place, um, which is not the perfect place that we're looking forward to at the end. Um, They conquered him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. But look at the warning in verse 12. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to the earth and the sea, for the devil has come down to you with great fury, because he knows he has a short time. He knows he has a short time. And how much time does he have? 42 months, 1260 days, three and a half years. And he knows that's how long he has. And so he is going to wreak havoc like has never been wreaked before. Okay, he is going to, to, to cause destruction um, like he's never caused before. And he's going to get some help, as we're going to see here in, in, uh, in these next few chapters. Um, and he's going to up his persecution of the church. It says, when the dragon was cast from heaven, which is, was referenced to Satan falling, he's going to pursue, chase, and hunt the woman. He's going to hunt down God's chosen on the earth, trying to destroy them, but the earth protected her supernaturally. Okay, there's been, there's been supernatural protection for the church up till now. Satan has gotten digs in every once in a while, but, but for the most part, the church has survived, which is a miracle in and of itself. That God's word has survived with all of the attempts to destroy it and to rid the earth of it, yet we've all got a copy of it. If you don't, there's one in the pew in front. You know, We make them readily available. How long will that last? Because Satan right now is really ticked. When he's no longer given access to God, he says, that's it. My full fury is going to be thrown out on the earth. He's refocused on Washington. He'll start there. Okay. He is not omniscient like God. Right, yeah, and all of his little minions, um, all of his, the, the, they would all, yeah, yeah, yeah. He could. There's a reason, and we'll see the reason hopefully by the end of tonight. We'll understand why God allows him to do this. Um, Revelation chapter 13, we see two more beasts are coming on the scene. Okay, the dragon Satan has been cast to the earth. And now we see, and I saw a beast in 13.1. I saw a beast coming up out of the sea. He had ten horns and seven heads. On his horns were ten, di- ten crowns, and on, his heads were, and on his, the seven heads were blasphemous names. The beast I saw was like a leopard. His feet were like bears, and his mouth was like a lion's mouth. The dragon gave him... His power, his throne, and great authority. One of his heads appeared to be fatally wounded, but his fatal wound was healed. The whole earth was amazed and followed the beast. They worshiped the dragon because he gave authority to the beast, and they worshiped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast? Who is able to wage war against him? A mouth was given to him to speak boasts and blasphemies. He was also given authority to act for 42 months. 
He began to speak blasphemies against God, to blaspheme his name and his dwelling, those who dwell in heaven. And he was permitted to wage war against the saints and to conquer them. He was also given authority over every tribe, people, language, and nation. All those who live on the earth will worship him, and everyone whose name was not written from the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slattered. If anyone has an ear, he should listen. If anyone is destined for captivity, into captivity he goes. If anyone is to be killed with a sword, with a sword he will be killed. Here is the endurance and the faith of the saints. We were sealed, correct? Any believer left here? Sealed. 144,000 sealed. Protected from what? God's wrath. Not protected from Satan's wrath. There will be suffering. For the church in the end. If you are destined to be put into captivity, then in captivity you will go. If you are destined to be de- killed by the sword, then by the sword you will be killed. That's assuming post trib. <laughs> Correctly. That is assuming post trib. Um, yeah, pan trib, it's all going to pan out in the end. Um, so, yes, for the. For, Blasphemies against God as he permitted to wage war against the saints and to conquer them. The saints would be the believers who were on earth at that time. Um, So post-trib says it's the church just continuing through the timeline. Pre-trib says the church has been raptured, but there is Israel and other believers that have come to know Christ through this that are still there. It would be symbolic, again, if you are pre-trib, it's symbolic of Israel. If you're post-trib, it's symbolic of all believers all times. Um, Not an actual number, but a symbolic number, perfectly complete number of all believers. Bill. Right, you did have the two, you have the two witnesses going through. Yes, yes. And so the Holy Spirit could very well dwelt within those two witnesses as well who were prophesying. Um, but they didn't really receive much of a greeting when they came. Um, people didn't listen to them. So here we have this first beast. And we're going to go ahead and finish this, even though it's four after seven, um, since we got a little late start. Um, okay, this, this fourth beast, or this beast in, in 13, 1 to 10, um, just cut right to the chase. It is the Antichrist. Okay, this is the beast. The dragon is Satan, and now we have the Antichrist that is rising up. He was given power from Satan. Satan gives him all of his power and all of his authority. Okay, he is a human. We have to understand that. Okay, Um, but he is completely possessed by Satan. So it is a human being, and if you go back in history, people thought it was Nero. People thought it was Hitler. People thought it was... You know, you can name a bunch um, through, yeah, through history. But it is a man, okay? Understand it is a human being, but it has become totally, he has become totally possessed by the dragon, um, Satan. Okay, there are ten horns, uh, and this kind of goes in with, with what we've already talked about. Um, ten horns representative of complete world power, <clears throat> ten being that complete number um, that all the kingdoms of the world 
And uh, we can see that the ten horns and crowns as, as ten nations during the end time. So the Antichrist is going to be given power over these ten nations that are coming together and uniting under the dragon. Okay, so the, the two beasts and the horns are kind of synonymous here. The dragon and his horns are pretty much the same as the beast because the beast is just given authority over those ten horns uh, with that. And again, that's back to Daniel uh, chapter 7. And again, read that on your own. Go back. I was going to read it tonight, but because of time, I won't. Um, just Daniel chapter 7 and read and see how the beasts of Daniel 7 really play out into this beast. Um, because he talks about there are four beasts in Daniel chapter 7. There's one that looks like a leopard. There's one that looks like a bear. There's one that looks like a lion. And then the fourth beast would be the Antichrist. And this Antichrist looks like a leopard, a bear, and a lion. Um, the description of the, of the beast, this leopard, bear, and lion, would, would contain imagery that would mean a lot to a Jew, a, a lot to Israel, uh, because the leopard uh, was synonymous with Greece, with, with the Greeks. Uh, the bear was synonymous with Persia, and the lion was synonymous with Babylon. And so you have these great powers all wrapped up into this Antichrist uh, in some way. And so one of the, and then one of the ten heads receives a fatal wound but is healed, um, causing the world to follow him even more. So picture this. You have the Antichrist, and many believe that this little horn, the one that is uh, killed or, or dies and then is resurrected, is actually the Antichrist himself. That, that it's not one of the kings, but it's the Antichrist, that he is, is, uh, suffers a fatal wound, but he is healed, and then he is brought back to life. And then all the people rejoice and follow him. Who does that sound like? Christ. You see, he's just mimicking. And we're not even sure. Someone would say maybe he died, maybe he didn't. Maybe they pretended he died, and now they're bringing, you know, so that it looks and it appears. But was this not Christ? Christ was delivered a fatal wound. Three days later, he arose from the dead, and there was much rejoicing among the believers. And the message went out to the world, and, and people began to follow and accept and believe that Christ was the Messiah. Now you have the Antichrist doing the exact same thing under the power and the authority of the dragon, of Satan, and gaining a following of the entire world. The world is, is following him. Um, it says the little horn will speak against the Most High. Saints handed over to him for three and a half years. Um, this Antichrist is going to be a political figure. That's where you need to look for him. Political figure. Okay? Government. Rule. That's where he's going to rise up. That's where he is going to be, to be seen. So the Antichrist, and then in uh, verse 11, and we'll end with this, this beast, uh, before we get in, we'll t tackle 14 next week. Then I saw another beast coming up out of the earth. He had two horns like a lamb. What else is like a lamb? Christ. Christ is the lamb of God. This, this second beast, or the dragon, the first beast, the Antichrist, and then this beast um, has two horns like a lamb. But he sounded like a dragon. Okay, have you ever seen one of those, you know, I love the, is it the State Farm commercials? 
where everyone has that one guy's, the, the spokesman's voice, and they're talking, and then they're the state, is it State Farm? I, all state, all state, that's what it is. Um, my favorite is the little girl, when she's talking to her daddy and then goes into the deep, <laughs> looks like a lamb, sounds like a dragon, okay, has the voice of a dragon, but has the appearance of a lamb. This is the second beast. He exercises all the authority of the first beast on his behalf and compels the earth and those who live on it to worship the first beast whose fatal wound was healed. He also performs great signs, even causing fire to come down from heaven to earth before people. The two witnesses did that, that we looked at earlier. Remember, if anyone didn't listen to him, they could call fire down from heaven and destroy them. Okay, he deceives those who live on the earth because of the signs that he is permitted to perform on behalf of the beast, telling those who live on the earth to make an image of the beast who had the sword wound yet lived. He was permitted to give a spirit to the image of the beast or to give life to the image of the beast so that the image of the beast could both speak and cause whoever would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. And he requires everyone, small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to be given a mark on his right hand or on his forehead so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark, the beast's name or the number, or the number of his name. Here is wisdom. The one who has an understanding must calculate the number of the beast because it is the number of a man. His number is 666. Okay, the second beast represented the first beast. And the first beast represented... The dragon. So we have Satan, the Antichrist, and the false prophet. We now have an unholy trinity is what is now operating on the earth. And you can see the similarities between the Satan taking on the role of God the Father, the Antichrist taking on the role of God the Son, and this other beast, this false prophet, uh, if you will, because that's kind of what his role is, taking on the role of the Holy Spirit. So we have an unholy trinity. And he convinces, this beast, the, the false prophet, convinces the world to worship the Antichrist. He's a deceiver. While the, the Antichrist is a political leader, this beast is a spiritual leader. And you're going to have the two, politics and spirituality, coming together in an unholy union to conquer the world. With all of the amazing signs and wonders that are happening, people are going to be looking for answers. And this beast, the false prophet, tells them what they want to hear. And the whole world will begin to follow the Antichrist, will begin to follow the political leader and, and mixing with the, with the spiritual lies. He constructed an image of the beast and he gave spirit to the image and demanded worship. Uh, anyone who refused to worship would be killed. This is going to separate the true believers from those that are just plain church. And I think that's why he gives him the authority. There's not going to be a lot of surprises at the judgment at the end. Because there's not going to be a lot left at the end. Because anyone who's not willing to take the mark of the beast will be put to death. And so all believers at that point, those that are left, again, pre-trib, post-trib, it's either Israel or it's the church. You know where I'm coming from. That are going to have to, you go to the grocery store, you're out of milk. 
They don't want to see your credit card. They want to see your right hand or your forehead. And if you can't produce right hand or forehead, you will be taken away and killed. Our relationship with God at some point is going to get real serious. And right now it's somewhat convenient to play church. To come and get a warm, fuzzy feeling. To come and worship and be with our friends and see our family and celebrate. And it, But there's going to come a time when there's a line drawn in the sand. And you're going to either cross it and die. Or not cross it and eventually die. The second beast sets it up. The false prophet sets up that system. Glenn. The seven crowns would have, would have been seven, those seven nations, that Egypt, Assyria, Persia. So we have this, and this is not unlike what Nebuchadnezzar did. Nebuchadnezzar set up an image of himself, and everyone had to bow and worship it, and those who didn't would face the fiery furnace. Okay, <clears throat> there's going to come a time when, when all believers are going to have to choose. You either deny the mark of the beast and be killed, or you take the mark of the beast and surrender your relationship with God. You can't go both ways. That's exactly right. Very, very much could be. Now, we, we understand that God sealed the 144,000 with his mark to protect them from his wrath. The false prophet is now marking everyone else to protect them from Satan's wrath. So that, again, we've just, the world just went upside down. For three and a half years, it's going upside down. And, and the enemy is given this authority, which I think is very much the whole sheep and the goats. Uh, who, who are you serving? And it's going to come right down to, it's going to be very easy to tell. Who are the true believers? Who is the true church? And who is not? Now, the number is 666. The number of a man. Man's number is six. Why? Because it's always short of seven. And seven is God's number. And so for emphasis, we do what? We repeat it three times. So total man number, the essence of man is 666. That's the number. Okay, the total essence of God is 777. We repeated it three times. Six will always be short of seven. Um, man was created on the sixth day. Whose day is the seventh? God's. Um, slaves were to be freed after the sixth year. They were to be released because there was the seventh year of Jubilee celebration to God. Seven sevens, yeah. Um, in the Old Testament. Um, Leviticus 25 said that fields were to be sown for only six consecutive years. 
And then the seventh year of Jubilee, you let the earth rest. So six is always man's number operating on the earth. 666 is always going to be short of God. Um, and so let me, let me also, you know, there's a lot of people say, well, we don't have credit cards because we don't want to. You're not going to be tricked into taking the mark. You're not going to accidentally, oh, man, what have I done? No. Okay? It's a conscious choice that you will at some point, if you're around at that time, if it's a pre-trib, we don't have a thing to worry about. If it's post-trib, then we better at least be aware of what might be happening. Um, <clears throat> and you won't be tricked into it. Okay? It, it will be a conscious choice uh, to make. Um, and, and this is going to be the, the, the biggest false religion ever. We have false religions now, um, but nothing is, is, that's ever been or ever will be on the scale of this one. This will be worldwide, a worldwide false religion, one religion. We're getting right back to where there's only two. You follow God or you follow Satan. All the others are going to be weeded out, okay, because there's not going to be, well, you can follow Satan. All roads lead to Satan. <laughs> that's kind of the anti-flip of what they're talking about now. Okay, no, there's only it's Satan or nothing at this point, or it's God or nothing, which is really the way it is right now. Yes. Will not be, right. They will be deceived. So there is great deception. So now we have the anti-trinity, the dragon, the beast of the sea, and the beast of the earth. Um, but disaster awaits the dragon, disaster awaits the Antichrist and the false prophet and anyone who would take their mark. We're going to look at that in the weeks ahead. Guess what? It's Easter, no homework. <laughs> How wonderful is that? Two weeks. Two weeks. We will we'll pick up in chapter 14 um, and get through probably at least 16, and we are a week behind, so we may pick up the pace a little bit as we go, as if this isn't fast enough. <laughs> right. Very much so. That would be a good understanding of it, that these ten nations would really be what's left of the earth's population after, you know, a fourth is killed. And, you know, basically we would destroy half of mankind with some of those seals and trumpets. Um, so this could be very well, yeah, the ten nations that are left from it. Okay? Let me pray for you and let you go. Thank you for hanging around a little longer. We actually <laughs> went a little longer than the delay, but um, <laughs> you'll love me anyway. Father, we are thankful that you are God, that you have seen fit, that you have a plan, and that that plan is being carried out. Father, I pray that you would help us to give us the courage and the strength to remain faithful. Uh, that, Father, we would never doubt you. Father, protect us from the enemy, from the deceiver, from the deception and the lies that are even present today. Father, help, give us discernment of your truth. Make us uh, studiers of your word and doers of your word. Lord, that we would all become theologians in studying and understanding who you are and that our relationship would just go deeper and deeper and deeper to where we would not be deceived. 
Father, build your church until Jesus comes. In his name we pray. Amen. Hey, have a great Easter time in case I don't see you. And uh, we'll be back here in two weeks.